Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. The importance on the global stage of developing and developed nations waxes and wanes while consumption and interconnectedness steadily increase, all the while laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. But how do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens International Business Attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us on social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Today we are joined by Jayesh Kothari, a corporate commercial and transactional lawyer based in Mumbai, India. His primary practice areas include corporate advisory, corporate commercial, M&A, joint ventures, and private equity venture capital. He regularly advises domestic and foreign clients on these matters. He's an experienced corporate lawyer working with clients from very diverse sectors, including manufacturing, advertising, technology, insurance, and consumer foods, and works for the law firm of ESK Legal, where he is a member of the Japan Desk and does a lot of work advising Japanese clients who are investing in India and with that, Jayesh, welcome to Global Law and Business. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for having me, and thank you for the introduction. Before we go any further, um, I would like for you to, to supplement that very brief, very general um, biographical sketch that I, that I offered. So perhaps um, we can go a little bit beyond those um, highlights. Uh, I'd love to hear more about what motivated you in the first place to to become uh, a lawyer, and 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 tell us perhaps a little bit more about your trajectory, perhaps um, little bits and bobs that that we didn't include in the uh, in, that I didn't include in my own uh, in my own biography. Sure. So uh, basically, to give you a little bit of background about myself, I I am a graduate. Uh, in commerce uh, and economics. I finished my graduation in economics and commerce. Uh, the idea was never to uh, become a lawyer. Uh, I completed my business management studies uh, after graduating from commerce uh, and uh, somehow in business management got hooked on to corporate law as a subject, uh, which was one small tiny subject. Uh, and after completing business management studies, I took the plunge and uh, uh, ended up uh, studying law for three years, uh, and uh, now it's been almost 10 years practicing as a full-time lawyer. Uh, I'm currently uh, an associate partner with DSK Legal. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background about uh, our, our firm, uh, we are a full-service law firm having uh, operations in four cities in India, Mumbai, Delhi, Bangalore, and Pune. Uh, we have... Uh, we have a total of around 170 lawyers across these four cities. Mumbai office happens to be our uh, biggest office in terms of number of lawyers. And uh, like I said, we are a full service law firm. 
practice areas including disputes uh, corporate commercial laws and real estate happen to be our core practice areas excellent so let's let's um let's pull that that thread a little bit and and talk about about india itself right um yeah. obviously the the i think the the fact that you have this uh, this presence uh, across the country or at least in in numerous cities uh, or a few cities in in the country uh, tells us something about what's happening there and about the 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 lack of concentration right the opposite of, of that the 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 diversity uh of of what's happening there in in, in commercial terms so let, let's talk more uh, about that specifically with a with a view to um to foreign investment my my understanding and and much of this comes from the, the opportunities i've had to to listen to you and and your colleagues uh, at other events my understanding is that historically there was perhaps some some hesitancy uh some concerns in india regarding foreign investment but that there's been a real sea change in the in the environment and uh, there have been numerous developments uh across um across government primarily uh as i understand it to to make the country a more welcoming destination for for foreign investment so we'll we we definitely want to 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 go into into those specifics but 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 big picture um what is it about india that should have foreign companies looking in the first place uh whether it is uh looking at india as a as a market for its products or whether it's looking at india uh as as a manufacturing base or perhaps uh looking at more more ambitious uh projects there's of course the the, the headlines we we know it's it's um uh set to become the most populous country in the world that of course by itself is is of course an important an important issue but but please tell us a bit a, a bit more uh about why you see india as a place that international business should should uh increasingly look at so so fred in terms of the overall trajectory of india uh if you if you see uh, over the last 25 30 years uh, india as a country with respect to foreign investment i would say is a is has been roughly a 25 30 year history uh, india opened up its economy to foreign investment post 1991 when the major change on liberalization came through so when you compare india to the other geographies around the world uh, it's still a 25 30 year uh, sort of economy when when foreign investment really first started coming into india or the country really opened up uh, historically if you see uh, developed countries uh, they've had far more years ahead in terms of you know opening up uh, business wise commercial opportunities etc so in terms of the sheer the number one advantage that india today has is it's still very nascent in terms of where the economic development stands as you rightly pointed out uh, india is today the second most populous uh, country in the world uh, and it's set to be uh, become the the, pop, the the largest populous country by in, in next few years uh, uh, in terms of opportunities for foreign investors uh, there is the biggest opportunity is the large domestic consumption that india offers because of its population 
unlike other economies and other geographies where the reliance is on exports to drive the gdp uh, india is self sufficient in terms of its, its domestic consumption so if you see the ratio of the india's of india's gdp the domestic consumption versus the earnings from exports is the earnings from exports forms a very small fraction of the overall gdp of of india so the domestic consumption story is one of the biggest reasons which attracts foreign investors due to having a large pool of consumption readily available the other reasons uh, obviously are india has increasingly over the last few years become a manufacturing base for several foreign countries or foreign companies in terms of manufacturing facilities manufacturing opportunities the government has liberalized a lot of lot of regulations lot of new regulations have been brought in place to welcome foreign investors these are some of the sort of key areas why we are seeing india suddenly become uh, as as one of the popular choices in terms of foreign investment the other obviously softer issues are being a largest democracy so you have a stable government so these are important aspects now that foreign companies have started looking at uh, if you see what's happening around the world with the political uh, and the economic situation uh, uh, you know with respect to wars escalations etc india with respect to a large part of other countries offers a safe harbor or a safe political and functional environment for foreign investors that's very important because today having a stable government stable economy is very very important for a foreign investor who is looking at 10 15 20 30 years uh, of having presence in india so these are the broad sort of uh, areas uh, why india has suddenly sort of become important uh, and sort of every foreign investor uh, has india on their wish list or on their to consider list if i may say i just want to follow up on on one of those points specifically the fact that india is is the largest democracy in the world i i as you as you know i i spent many years in in china in fact yeah. most of most of my career was was spent there and for for a long time i really saw the world um i, I don't want to say through a through a chinese lens but strongly influenced by 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 that experience and uh, i remember let's say 15 years ago or so when and of course, of course the the china and the india conversation is 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 one that has has played out um over the years uh, i'm sure it happens of course in india happens in, in china happens here and i remember that around that time frame if if you were to mention this fact uh the fact that well you, you've got india as, as a democracy that's a that's that's a huge difference uh when you compare it to, to china back then i think the most of the responses would have been either something along the lines of well so who cares you know that that's that's um yeah good for them yeah. and in some cases the the response might have been dismissive they might have said well yeah but actually that is a problem because many of the things that china is accomplishing in terms of infrastructure development etc would be very difficult uh, or are difficult in, in, a, in a place like India. However, I, I, I see now, especially in the last few years, and, I, and it's, a, it's a very heartening development, it seems that we're, we're not quite there yet, but we're, we're certainly, at least in my view, we're moving in a, 
in a way where this is beginning to matter more. And perhaps uh, it's not so much an issue of the, the, the political scientists' uh, view of whether democracy is a superior model to, 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 a, to a totalitarian uh, regime. I mean, that's, that's, that's an interesting debate. So I think people are beginning to look at the practical import of that, right? And when you have a situation like we are experiencing right now with the pandemic, where we have unprecedented challenges that um, really go to, to the core of how we, we deal with problems as a society and how we interact with other societies, I think this starts to, to matter. I think that, or starts to Absolutely. matter more. Uh, for example, uh, just, just to give one example, and I'll, I'll turn it over to you for your perspective, but if you take the issue of, of medicines and, and um, health supplies, obviously there are going to be issues associated with that um, anytime you're bringing those products from abroad, especially if you're shipping them across across the oceans. But I think that there's yeah. an added component um, when you're addressing issues that that, that involve uh, that implicate public health. I think it it really matters who your counterpart yeah. is, and in that sense, I think there there's a lot to be said about uh, working with a partner like India that, in so many ways, resembles uh, our own. Uh, resembles us in, in, in so many ways. So, yeah. uh, do you see? I mean, perhaps looking at it mostly from from the from the conversation in India about these topics. Do, do you think that perhaps that that it's fair to say that this this um, the fact that India is uh, a democracy and is different from China? Do you think that's beginning to play out more and perhaps in a more positive way than it has in the past? It is. It is. So so you're right. I mean, what you say is correct. And democracy. Is, is a double-edged sword, right? I mean, it comes with its own set of challenges. Uh, but increasingly what has happened is uh, for the foreign investors or the companies looking at India are, like I said, are beginning to look at a safe harbor or they prefer destinations where they can have stable business operations, predictable stable business operations where there is no uncertainty of their business being shut down uh, the next day. So that way, in terms of, if you see the trajectory of India over the last 20, 25 years, like I mentioned, it's, it, they've, they've liberalized over time. So it's as, as we speak, and if you see the trajectory, like I said, India has welcomed, India has looked at the issues which were bottlenecks and the foreign policy that is currently in place, uh, the government in fact, as we speak in the last few days, also government has liberalized the, the the economy and opened up the telecom sector, which was again a regulated, restricted sector. Uh, it has, as of yesterday, opened up 100% foreign investment in uh, telecom sector, which was not the case earlier. So, so the positive uh, of uh, the positive development, what's helping India is the willingness of the current government to accept the shortcomings and have a viewpoint or an inclination to bring about those changes, which will really matter, which will affect the economy on the whole, which is going to be more welcoming for a foreign investor. And the most importantly, give a sense of security to a foreign investor that look, if you come to India, we are welcoming you with open arms. You can do business in India 
without any issues without any uh, harassment uh, over the last few months what government has also done is they have retrospectively closed down all the tax litigation that was prevailing with foreign investors including some of the foreign investors that was a big step which was sort of a sore point in the indian economy where where foreign investors were always hesitant on the tax treatment and the treatment they would get around the taxation issues the government was bold enough to accept the the wrong doing or uh, the decisions that it take hist- took historically and reversed the orders uh, to sort of refund the monies back to the tax demand roll back the tax demands effectively so these are the measures collectively you know these these things can only happen in a democracy you know where uh you have consensus or a bind from all the political parties uh there are no reasons or issues of things again reversing or reopening so overall all of these things have turned in a positive sort of manner for india uh, especially in the last few years including during the pandemic you bring up an interesting point um and, and i think sometimes when when this debate is is or this conversation is too theoretical i think people people miss out on on, on certain important facts um as you pointed out when when you have a democratic system where let's say the different viewpoints are out in the open and the legislative process has to take into account these differing views and of course i'm not saying that there are no issues and that it works perfectly everywhere that that that, that there is a, a democratic system but ultimately what 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 legislation at least to some extent really has to reflect that those differing views and and you're going to have legislation that already incorporates a, a certain measure of uh, of compromise whereas yeah. if you look at a at a government where one party rule where there's a a segment of the population that decides what they want uh with any kind of of um of of change uh you could have an absolute reversal uh Absolutely. whether that's a change for the positive or the negative that's that that depends right i mean in some cases the change might be a positive one but nonetheless there might be that element of of, of uncertainty so that's that is that's very important and again like i said that's the most important thing in terms of uh you know sense of security uh because when you say that one party having a rule to make or break a legislation uh, that could swing either ways in today's scenario foreign investors don't want uncertainty they are looking at certainty in terms of business operations because there's money at stake uh you know it's not easy to uh, to start operations in a country and then shut down operations in in the country so so when an investment decision is made and and we advise a lot of foreign investors when they look at all of these including manufacturing uh, you know uh, in information technology uh, across sectors uh one important aspect as as an overall business objective is definitely the political environment and the sense of stability that they'll get that's that's i think one of the top 5 items that most foreign investors are now started looking at because if you see, uh you know the western part of the world in midwestern part of the world, there is a lot of conflict china again the situation with china you know again all world economies are changing their stance with china uh it's it's so so there are very few alternatives there are very few limited alternatives that are available if you sort of were to take china out of the equation 
and when you kind of do the pros and cons uh, india kind of stacks up uh, at the very top of the list where you know there are more positives than negatives if if one was to sort of evaluate that said um let, let's turn our attention for for a little bit to to the potential negatives right so yes. if you're if you're if you're looking let's say you're you're advising a uh, foreign company looking to to enter india obviously there's a lot of as, as you've mentioned there's there's a lot of positives there that are probably yeah. going to be um catch, catching their attention right they're especially let's say some a company that might have not had the best experience in in another yes. jurisdiction where they're saying look you know we we understand that democracy can be messy but there's things about it that we like in terms of of the um the security and then and the, the guarantees that we have but at a practical level what are what are some of the issues that 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 we might face right so so, so what would be i mean if 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 you're looking if you're trying to give a, a nuanced um outlook to to uh, to a potential uh investor what are the most likely issues that 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 they will that they will face uh when they enter in so i think some of the legacy issues still continue you're right i mean there are some sort of pitfalls there are some areas which still need working i think one critical area still remains is complexity of regulations and the sheer number of regulations that are prevailing in india because of the the democratic setup uh, that we have and we have division between state legislation and central legislation uh, there is a lot of overlap between state state purview as well as uh, central purview uh, so what foreign investors expect is limited regulations sense of clarity in terms of what regulations sort of are applicable uh, so when they come into a new country so i think the sheer number of complex regulations and the volume of regulations are one of the biggest hurdles that uh, a foreign investor uh, potentially faces again coupled with if you are a foreign investor looking at operating in multiple locations in india uh, you have to look at not just the place where you're setting up business operations in india but uh, across locations that you'd be operating in india so you'll have to comply with all the regulations that are prevailing in various parts of the country that's another sort of uh, pitfall or hindrance that foreign investors face also there is a lot of uh, there is there is a lot of lack of awareness uh, when when in terms of sheer information while the government is trying to do their best to kind of put the, the regulations or the channels to enter india there is still in terms of uh, as a foreign investor if if i was sitting outside india there's a lack of sense of lack of awareness amongst what 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 compliances do i need to follow what are the measures that i need to take to set up business in india now while there is information available online but again uh, most of it is not 100% reliable uh, so so that lack of awareness also sometimes sort of uh, affects the investment decision as a foreign investor uh, the other uh, issues which which have kind of worried foreign investors for many years is the fear of litigation in india uh, historically uh litigation in india it has a, a sort of a perseverance of it being long drawn uh not sort of uh getting resolved in a time bound manner uh while i wouldn't say it's uh, it's untrue it is it is uh, getting better but yes some of the some of the challenges still remain uh, you know so for foreign investors to get injunctions uh, remedies 
you know in a timely manner still remain uh, bottleneck there is it is it is difficult you know let's let's let's, let's accept the ground reality it's not uh, kosher clean today uh, and and the last few things are uh, the tax nuances uh, and the tax litigation the ability of the government to go back 7 years uh, uh, and sort of open up reopen up any sort of tax litigation uh, those are the areas you know those are the broader areas where uh, foreign investors uh, are still a little bit of there's still a bit of hesitancy uh, around these issues uh, and and the government is is cognizant of of these 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 sort of bottlenecks or these roadblocks and is trying genuinely hard to uh, fix those issues for example uh, there are number of leg- labor legislations in india you know if you if you were to actually compare there are several labor legislations across the length and breadth of india uh, state level central level what the government is now doing is bringing a central labor code uh, so uniform labor code to apply across the country uh you know which brings a, a lot of clarity to a foreign investor who does not have to comply with every single regulation so uniform code to have all the regulations or the the summary or some in substance of all regulations in a single sort of legislation so i think that's the need of the hour uh, uh i think if if india was to, uh, to expedite uh, bringing in more uniform codes across various regulations uh, i think it will make a lot lot of uh, the life lot easier for let's say for the government uh, to to sort of bring in investment uh, in the country also for an for foreign investor it will give a lot of comfort and clarity in terms of you know compliances what is happening now is the level of while the government is trying to streamline the investment process in india uh, on the other hand what is increased is the level of compliances so you're trying to solve one problem but the other problem is opening up so that is another issue which even as we speak foreign investors face today the sheer number of compliances be it you know business operations be it tax uh, you know be it legal uh, and and you know this is something that is again a roadblock so the government should try to reduce the number of compliances to ensure that the the sort of foreign investment investors uh, do not have these sort of issues from from what i have learned from uh from your colleagues really um it, it appears that by by well let's say it's if you were to focus your dispute resolution efforts uh or or clauses more 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 precisely uh in your in your contracts if you were to focus on arbitration as a as a mechanism to solve disputes it it appears that um I don't want to say that that you will all everything will work smoothly that might be that might be an exaggeration but it does appear that um there's been quite a bit of uh of development positive development in that direction and yeah. and and there are measures in place that make it uh um well certainly a more appealing option than litigation that's that's not a an issue that's that's singular to India obviously in many countries uh arbitration might be preferable to to litigation but it does seem that there's been uh real yeah, real progress in that regard so could you could you um could you yeah. talk to that yeah absolutely i think uh, like i said government is cognizant of the the bottlenecks that that prevail uh, uh one example i gave was bringing a uniform labor code 
uh, you know litigation is the another area which which continues to be a bottleneck or a problem area and to address that uh, you know few years ago the government has made arbitration in india time bound uh, exercise so every dispute resolution which is uh, as per the indian arbitration now has to be completed in a stipulated time period uh, with extensions earlier what what used to happen is the parties would set up an arbitration tribunal there would it would be a long drawn process you know parties would delay the process now there is an obligation on the arbitrator as well as on the parties to complete the dispute in a time bound manner and even an extension only one extension is given and those are all that extension is also given on very very specific grounds so if a dispute is not so so there is enough incentive for uh, now regulated in, incentive so it's a, it's they're, they're bound by legislation now to to complete an arbitration in time bound manner which is not the case earlier so yes measures like this uh, definitely help uh, you know giving comfort to parties uh, you know willing to contract uh, in india uh some of the other measures include uh you know parties choosing uh, seat outside india to to litigate uh, you know those those options are also something that that's a preferred option for example if you are a us uh, investor and if you uh, are working with an indian client uh, you can uh, have an arbitration in let's say singapore or dubai uh, for, for for that matter uh, and and uh, you know do that that uh enforcement of that award can be brought into india uh so so these are the measures that 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 are now the government is working hard on these things there is there is there is the government has also set up a lot of commercial courts earlier it used to be only specific courts uh civil courts high courts and then supreme court um uh, district court high court and supreme court handling matters what now the government is doing is they understand that they need specialized courts for commercial matters so they're setting up a lot of separate commercial courts to your matters and expedite the the process of resolving dispute i have a a practical question um and and it concerns the the states in india and and how they how they fit into the the larger picture i remember um a few years ago i was helping some some colleagues uh, at, at at my old firm uh who were planning a a business trip to to India and helping them with with logistics um and and looking i remember looking at the at the map uh google maps uh you know which has all the place marks and photos etc and i was kind of it was interesting i saw, i saw that you know their their relatively short trek out to the factory would take them across the state border and when i looked i saw that there was a a border checkpoint um yeah. which was which was interesting right because i mean in, in general terms here in the US we don't have those which which is not to say that that there aren't restrictions in specific cases for example with trucks you know they do have to sometimes undergo checks when they when they go into a new state and then and there are uh it, it's not it's not a completely um it, it's not as if state borders are are meaningless quite the opposite um but i'm but i'm curious uh, about that i mean in looking at it from a from a practical point of view for example let's say if 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 my company has a factory in in one state and it just so happens that the the nearest port is in an is in another state are there any issues that could impact uh transportation for example of my raw materials or the finished goods going out uh or or any other sort of um let's say um 
uh, logistic barrier between yeah. that yeah. competition. So, no, no, I think it, it, it used to be a challenge. Again, this is again one of the measures that the government has worked on. It used to be a challenge. And again, a few years ago, what, what the government has brought in is, is sort of e-way. It's, it's called an expressway bill. So basically, once an invoice is generated from your factory and you've paid the duty for the tax, the road tax that, that's required to be paid, technically, uh, it's again all electronic. So along with the number of your vehicle or your, your, your truck, uh, you know, all the state borders technically in their online system can see that all the duties, et cetera, with respect to the consignment that is moving have been paid. So they don't really get stopped anywhere in terms of uh, it's it's end to end. It's it's earlier they used to be at borders, like you rightly said, they used to be checking, there used to be papers need to be checked. Uh, it used to be a time consuming exercise. Again, delivery of goods would take longer, especially in case of perishable products. Uh, so what has happened now is once an invoice is generated, the other state borders, the state borders will immediately receive a copy of an electronic invoice, which is approved. Uh, so they're aware what product is moving from which, which, where is it originating from, and what is the end destination. And if all the duties is with respect to that product are paid, what is the vehicle carrying it? So it's it's seamless. So the state borders don't really need to stall or stop the truck uh, or the consignment and physically check anything. Once all the duties are paid, it's it's a seamless process where uh, obviously the government still do random checks to see uh, you know if if everything is okay. Uh, but but this has helped save a lot of time, a uh, lot of costs in terms of uh, you know uh, uh, ensuring products reach one place to the other in a timely manner. As part of the initiative, what the government has also done is uh, at every state border, uh, every vehicle has to pay a, a, a sort of tax in terms of uh, a toll. Uh, you know, so so what the government has now done is they've they've come up with with an e-pass or a e-toll where if you have an electronic tag with you, uh, you can just uh, walk through or go through the the toll and uh, it will electronically deduct money from your from from your account. So you don't really need to stall, stop the truck, pay cash. The lines, the queues go go lesser. So all these measures, uh, you know, across ministries, government is working with railways, with road authorities, highway authorities, port authorities. They're trying to build the infrastructure, trying to create roads in areas where the infrastructure is poor. So all the ministries are working in tandem to ensure that, you know, all of these sort of minor issues or sort of, independent individual issues get resolved. On the topic of transportation, uh, again, from, from one of the, the, uh, the panels uh, in, in which you participated, um, I, I learned about how there's actually uh, foreign investment taking place, uh, I guess, considerable uh, foreign investment yeah. in um, things like, like roads and, and uh, yeah. rail systems. Um, yeah. Is this the case? Could you, could you could you tell us a bit more about? It? Yes, yes, it is. It is. It is. So what 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 the government is earlier? All of these sort of sectors uh, would were extremely sort of close sectors where government had control over these sectors. So for example, if uh, 15 years ago, if a road project had to be built, it was only a government co government contractor or a government company who could build that road. Uh, again. Uh, that really caused delays in government trying to implement funds for those projects. 
So what the government sort of did uh, over the last 10 years is uh, so expand uh, and introduce public-private partnership. So, so, so special purpose vehicles will be formed between government companies and private players who are experts who bring in technology uh, in, in uh, road development or rail network development or port development. And that has really assured and opened up uh, sort of foreign investment for these public-private partnerships. Uh, earlier, these sectors was, like I said, were restricted to only government companies and uh, it, it depended only on the government investment. But once, but now because it is open to a public-private partnership, suddenly a lot of domestic companies in India or companies outside India look at this as, as a viable option. Uh, infrastructure companies globally uh, look at this as a viable option, not only for technology, but also for their manufacturing progress. So looking, I want to to talk a little bit about, about geography and not in the traditional sense, although I'm, I'm, I'm a geography uh, nerd. Um, but there's, um, I think one of the great things about having the opportunity to, to, to have conversations like this is being able to put more color, if you will, into a, a map. You know, you have the, the basic map, you know, you look at it and you, okay, this is the capital of this country, maybe, you know, a couple of major cities. And then of course the things that, that, you 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 have no choice but to pick up from from the news, right? If you're a, if you're a, if you're a yeah. news consumer, for example, it, it's hard to get. I mean, it would be very difficult not to have heard of Bangalore, right? For example, I mean, we're yeah. there's talk of starting flights from Seattle, where 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 our firm is based, Bangalore, right? Because of this tech connection. So okay, yeah. so we've all heard of that, but um, but I was hoping you could you could help give us a little bit more more context. Um, when we when we I mean. I think this is true of, of any country that's that's uh, an economic powerhouse. It's it's economic activity is not evenly distributed. This is certainly not the case in China. Certainly not the case in the U.S. You're going to be encountering very different economic climates if if you're in a place like like Seattle or if you're um, in, in some other states, right? So uh, I'd, I'd like to hear more about um, the hotspots in India, right? Where where are the places where realistically, if if, if a company wanted um, to go there, let's say to manufacture, uh, where where are the places where they'd be looking at? Um, but of course, that, that's not the only thing that they might be doing, right? So, for example, if you if you had a company that wanted to perhaps uh, look at, at at the consumer market there, um, where would they be looking at setting up headquarters? I mean, my own my own guess, based on my on my very very limited knowledge, would say, well, you'd go to Delhi, you'd go to Mumbai, but maybe maybe there's something uh, here that we're 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 missing. So. Um, so, so yeah, if you could help um, give some some more nuance to to that map of India. Uh, that would be that would be great. So yeah, again, this is again this is one of the important sort of uh, important items in every foreign investor's uh, investment making decision for India. Uh, I would I would actually place this in two buckets uh, where we have preferred destinations and we have upcoming destinations. So in terms of preferred destinations, preferred destinations are destinations where historically uh, foreign investment has uh, assured has come in. Uh, the the sort of regional development in and around that area has uh, fairly happened in a in a way where it is conducive to receive foreign investment. It's a it's, it has got a sound uh, sort of expat system or you know welcoming systems uh, in terms of the culture, 
development schools colleges etc uh, uh, you know uh, places for recreation uh, so in terms of preferred destinations maharashtra uh, uh, which is the state uh, where 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 i am from uh, and mumbai happens to be the capital uh, maharashtra is is number one followed by delhi uh, karnataka tamil nadu and gujarat so these are the five sort of destinations which are preferred destinations which have significant amount of foreign investment as of today uh, but there are some preferred destinations uh, you know that that are coming up uh, which are tier 2 cities uh, you know uh, and and for example odisha uh, for example uh, you know haryana uh, for rajasthan so there are other states which are not surely uh not really there in terms of the sheer volume with the preferred states but are upcoming and are the, the state governments there are taking measures to uh, provide subsidies to provide several sort of incentives uh to foreign investors to come and set up operations there for example honda has moved uh, its its uh, manufacturing base to rajasthan uh, which is again a, not a tier 1 state but it's a tier 2 state i would say Uh, uh you know hyundai has moved their operations to uh, headquarters to uh, delhi uh, haryana uh, you know so so a lot of this depends on uh, you know the overall objective of how many years do, does a foreign what is the overall objective of a foreign company uh, are you coming in with a short term objective are you coming in with a long term objective uh, how many people would you want to uh, staff in india i i you are you going to rely on local or domestic talent or are you going to bring uh, your people uh, for example japanese clients prefer having their own people coming and and staying physically in the country but western countries like europe and us prefer to take domestic uh, hire domestic talent and manage things remotely versus having their phys- having people physically present here so it depends on the overall ethos or uh, the sort of uh, uh, objective of a foreign investor but yes a preferred destinations continue to receive a large amounts of foreign investment due to you know uh, established networks established infrastructure and and uh, the overall uh, sort of sort of scenario or situation uh, with the conducive environment if i would and um in terms of navigating this this very diverse um cultural landscape uh where yeah. you have of course um you know areas where i mean and it's not just the fact that they speak different languages it's the fact that that in some cases right these languages are, are very vibrant and and give rise to to their own uh industries right for example i'm thinking of 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 a film right for example where uh the the film industry and in a particular state in a in a language that might not be that well known outside of india can perhaps be in the top 10 globally right in in terms of its size So for foreign companies that are looking at at operations encompassing uh large uh parts of India or having a presence in multiple states what are some some pointers that you might give to them in terms of of, of how to how to navigate this um is it um I'm thinking in, in practical terms I mean this, is there a value for example in 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 from the beginning setting out to to the extent possible perhaps staff from different parts of the country to help 
um, help navigate the, the differences. Um, what are some other things that that companies can do to to, to ease this uh, this transition? Especially, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, uh, some of the countries in Europe are relatively small, relatively homogeneous, and all of a sudden, for for a company coming in from one of these countries, going into India might be the equivalent. I mean, depending on how many places they're they're, they're present in. Could be equivalent of doing business in five or ten or, or more uh, yeah. European countries. So, so what are what are some um, some best practices to to help uh, make this less daunting? So again, I think uh, you go back to the drawing board and what we ask the clients is, what is your wish list? You know, give us your wish list in terms of what is it that you want. Are you going to get your people here? Uh, see, in terms of the preferred destinations that I said earlier. Uh, the preferred destinations uh, luckily have a good amount of talent locally available. So if a foreign investor was to set up operations in one of the preferred destinations, uh, getting local talent would not be a problem. Having said that, you know, if look, if foreign investor were to, wanted to get their own resources uh, from their country to India, the advantage that these preferred destinations have is the socioeconomic development and setup that they already have. You know, uh, most of these preferred destinations, English is a well-accepted language. Uh, there are there are there is a good housing community, expat community, like I said, uh, uh, social uh, social and cultural development has happened. There are good recreation facilities, good network of schools schools and colleges uh, available. Uh, healthcare facilities are, have been fairly developed in these sectors. So again, it depends a lot on the wish list. If the Wish list is getting subsidies and trying to manufacture products at the lowest cost is the number one objective. Then our our advice to the foreign customers: let's look at a state where you get the most amount of subsidies. But if that's not highest on your criteria, if you want a balanced sort of setup, you might be better off looking at a existing or a preferred destination uh, versus a tier two destination where you know getting in and out will be easier getting people locally would be easier even if people have to come from abroad it's it's easier and more welcoming to stay having said that i think uh, most of these uh, most of the countries or the states where uh, foreign companies are uh, operating today uh, english uh, remains a well accepted language uh, the the culture of india is fairly similar to uh, other countries in asia uh, it, it's it's the climate is is sort of uh, it's a balanced climate. You don't have harsh weather uh, like other geographies, uh, you know. So in terms of the other challenges, in terms of weather, in terms of uh, we have abundant rainfall, uh, sort of like barring few areas uh, uh, locations in India, there's a good amount of water supply in India. So those issues, electricity, which used to be a huge challenge earlier, now is almost uh, a non. Uh, it's 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 a non-challenge now. You know, you you have those issues were around power supply, etc., have been resolved to a large extent in most parts of the country. So, I, I think increasingly what foreign companies are moving towards is a balanced approach, uh, and and where they will be able to sort of uh, cohabitate with the local population for a larger or a long long time. So again, it depends, like I said, on what your wish list is, uh, you know. Uh, but most most clients that we advise prefer the preferred destination, uh, you know, for the reasons I said. Well, Jayesh, it's it's uh, clearly we're not we're not going to to put a 
to, to cover everything that that there is to to cover sure. when it comes to to India. As a matter of fact, I mean, this is an ongoing conversation, and uh, I'm looking forward uh, next week to to yes. moderating a, a panel with with some of your colleagues, just like yes. uh, Jonathan, who couldn't be here with us today. Uh, moderated a panel in which you participated not long ago. So I think yep. this is, uh, and, and I, and I like the fact that, that it's an ongoing conversation because every time I'm learning, I'm learning new things and just, just, uh, acquiring a, a level of, of depth in terms of my knowledge that, that, uh, that I appreciate hopefully before, before too long, you know, we can start traveling internationally and I can, I can finally get to, to India, which I, which I've never <laughs> done. Before we let you go, uh, I'd like to ask you uh, for for your recommendations um, for for our our viewers today, since we are we are doing video. So um, doesn't have to be India related, or although it certainly can be. Um, what are some things that you've read recently? I know, as you've mentioned, uh, you know, the life of a corporate lawyer is not one that yeah. leaves you uh, a lot of time for um, for for uh, recreational activities, but um, what are some things that, that you've managed to get your hands on in, 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 in recent times? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, uh, we, we, time is always uh, a challenge, but, uh, you know, it's important uh, to, to sort of have some sort of uh, deflections or interests outside uh, your uh, area of work to kind of, it, it helps you kind of come back fresh, uh, rejuvenates you, and also kind of provides you sort of an escape from what you're doing. Uh, obviously, I've not been doing too much reading off late, but uh, I think one book that I mentioned to you last time also is, is something that I reading, uh, I've been reading is by, by Shiv Khera, which is called You Can Win. Uh, again, it's it's not not a heavy book. It's it's a very light read. Uh, it just gives you a basic, uh, it just basically says that if you are able to build processes in your life, uh, you know, you can basically achieve every task. Uh, it just gives you sort of a roadmap of, you know, how you should approach life, how you should sort of approach your personal life, professional life, uh, you know, set yourself goals, uh, you know, uh, basically just helps you sort of live a more balanced life, uh, you know, and sort of gives you sort of direction. Uh, uh, the other the other book that I've been reading because I, I enjoy uh, sort of uh, public markets, uh, stock markets is, is Coffee Can Investing. Uh, because lawyers, while they're very good with uh, uh, sort of uh, closing deals uh, for other people, I think with, with respect to their investment decisions, it's, they always kind of uh, leave it to uh, sort of some external consultants or advisors uh, to manage their money. And lawyers sort of, if I may use the word, they're, they're always lazy with managing their own money. Uh, so Coffee Can Investing is, is a book by uh, a veteran Indian uh, fund manager uh, called Saurabh Mukherjee. Uh, and basically, uh, the book revolves around, he's picked up uh, six or seven uh, Indian companies, uh, basically how they started operations and how they've been able to sort of uh, scale up over 30, 40 years uh, in India and grow, manage to grow sustainably. And he takes, uh, he walks uh, sort of their readers through the journey of how it is important to sort of invest in some of these companies at an early stage. Uh, to get the upside benefit uh, if you ride the wave. So it's a very interesting book where he actually uh, takes us through the story of uh, of each and every company, how they actually started operations to now where they are, 
uh, most of them have now become uh, multinational companies so it's an interesting read i think it's 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 something that is important uh, for even an entrepreneur uh, just gives gives a vision uh, to where where you start and where you can eventually end uh, that's 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 on the reading front i think in terms of i i try and get some time on weekends to catch up on a sport uh, i enjoy formula 1 uh especially so i try and sort of uh, follow that uh, regularly and uh, cricket obviously in india everyone loves cricket so those are the two things that you know at least uh, are, are sort of stress busters or areas outside work that you sort of look forward it's uh i know this is self serving but uh but i do think it's important to to make the time right to to catch yes. up on sports uh, obviously you know i can't devote uh, the the amount of time I did in the when I was younger right to yes. to watching games but um but at least um you know one thing that I've been that I've been doing I started actually it was actually the pandemic that made this um feasible but I mean I've always I've always liked uh especially european football or soccer for, yeah. for americans and uh, during the pandemic I I I started um well, I I sort of because of the fact that i was working from home and and the fact that i was in a in a more convenient time zone uh for watching these games as opposed to being in 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 asia um i actually started to my, i i'm a i'm a supporter of uh barcelona that's my that's my team but i i i was nice. able to to follow them a lot more closely than than i did before in terms of actually watching yeah. the games in terms of actually and um And, and it's interesting because what what I ended up doing is just focusing on that and not really watching other other games. And I think in the in, back in the day, I would, I would it would be a different mix. Like I would watch some of the more important games, and then I would watch some of the other yeah. big games involving other teams. I kind of switched that into a more regular routine of, of just trying to find the time to watch the the Barcelona games once or twice yeah. a week. And and it's it's it, it's it's had a really I know some people might say, "Well, yeah, of course, this is why people people do this." Um, but it does have that therapeutic effect. It it is. I find oh, myself and, yeah absolutely. enjoying it on a different level than I did in the past. Yeah, I think also it, it it gets you thinking, right? I mean, it gets you thinking. It gets you uh, you you sort of look at it with a different eye. Maybe ten years earlier, you would just see it as, "Oh, yeah, it's a sport." Now you'd look at it from a strategy point of view, from 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 you know the skill, the level of skill. so so it it depends and i think it's always good to sort of get uh, get sort of that that time to yourself uh, for for your well being at work it's a, it's very important i think you know now we're in an era where you know well being mental well being has become very important and it's important that you do these activities outside work to keep your mind healthy and active. absolutely and um before we sign off i'd just like to add my own recommendation um this is a this is india related it's um it's a, an article called the internet country and this was on a substack called tiger feathers uh one word exclamation point at the end um we'll, we'll be uh providing you with with a link on our on our blog posts uh where when we when we uh publish this um this episode um and it was written by Aryaman Veer and Raul Sanghi uh, that's my my best attempt at, at proper pronunciation <laughs> um but uh it was very interesting read and very very not just timely because of this uh conversation that we're having but just very timely i i think i really think it's high time 
people start paying attention to to India. Um, obviously, there's still things happening elsewhere, and, and you should pay attention to those too. But but I, I do think the time has come to start uh, uh, going a little bit deeper into into India and understanding that that country better. I think it'll be. I'm, I'm convinced that it'll be time well spent um, for someone uh, professional at it any stage of their career, right? I think it's, it's, it's going to be uh, a constant, I think, over the next, uh, over the foreseeable future. Um, with that, uh, Jayesh, I'd like to, to thank you for, for making time for us. I know it's late in, uh, in, in Mumbai. Um, so, so I, I appreciate it, especially, especially since we're doing video, right? You have to, you have to um, uh, be more or less presentable. You've done a good job at it. I sort of, I, I forced myself to, to put on the suit and uh, and, uh, and groom myself, um, but but really, thank you, thank you so much, and I look thank forward you. to talking to your colleagues uh, next week. Um, so thank thanks for your part in making that that happen. Thanks, thanks, Fred. Thanks for having me, and uh, I hope uh, we can do this more often. And uh, just wanted to conclude. I think uh, like like you like you summed up, India has become a hotspot or a good investment decision, and. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd look forward to working with you and your colleagues uh, to, you know, to make uh, good collaborations in future. Global Law and Business is a production of Harris Bricken. The team includes Madeline Williams and Michaela Moore. The music is composed by Stephen Schmidt. If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review there. We like to hear what you think of the show and it helps new listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then. <laughs>